One of the great lines in that song is, our power is in Christ. Uh, What a great reminder because so many times we are fooled or deceived into thinking we have power. Um, We have no power. Um, In fact, we're called sheep. We're dumb. We're weak. Um, If left to our own, we would just run off the cliff, eat the wrong thing. We're prone to wander. And so it's a very great reminder to to know where our hope, our confidence, our strength, where our power comes from, and that's in Christ alone. Well, with that being said, we're again looking at what the church is. We're looking at what church membership looks like, and we're going to look at baptism. And baptism is uh, a traditional thing. Most people have heard of it. Most people have some understanding, but Ironically, there's, there's a lot of uh, misconceptions uh, about what baptism is. And so we want to have a, a proper biblical understanding of what that looks like. When we think of, again of, of what church membership is, we're, we, we're reminded that we're not soloists in the orchestra, right? We're all part of the collective. We're all part of the team. We all have a, a, a role. When I think of things like teams, I think of... You know, teams have their colors, they have their, their logos, right? They have their spirit wear, their gear. They even have symbols. Uh, you know, I, I think of one of my favorites being college football and, you know, just with their, with their hands, you know, if, you know, if you do this to a traditional USC fan, he knows exactly what that means. It's the V for victory. If you're a, a Texas fan, you know, you got the the, the Longhorns, right? And if you're an Oklahoma fan, you know, you tilt it upside down because you're against them. And so <laughs> there's all kind, you know, maybe some of you Husky fans, you know, you come up with the, that, that was always a hard one for my dexterity. But, um, and ironically, we even see with gangs. Uh, one, one of the things with, with gangs is gangs is the, the anti-family family. Uh, it's a perversion of family and, and gangs mark their bodies. They tat their bodies. They have their signs and symbols. Why? Because they want to identify with their team. They want to identify with their clique, with their gang. And so we're called biblically to, to join Christ. We're called biblically to, to join each other, um, to obey, to follow. And one of the things as I was studying this that I was constantly reminded of was, you know, because there's always those people, you know, well, do I have to, right? It's kind of that bare minimum thing. You know, do I have to do this? Do, do I have to be baptized to be saved? No. Um, so then why do I have to do it? Well, if it's good enough for Jesus, maybe it's good enough for you, right? And consider it this way. What a, what a privilege what a glorious privilege to be called Christian. The IAN in, in other countries is son of. So if you're Armenian, I grew up in Glendale, we had a lot of Armenians and they had these super long names and we didn't understand why everybody had IAN or YAN at the end of them and it meant son of. And so you were identifying in your name who your daddy was. 
And so why would you not want to do that? We saw the tradition in the scriptures of, of being bond servants. We're called to be bond servants of Christ. Well, what's the difference between a, a bond servant and a, and a typical servant or a slave? Well, the bond servant would willfully become a slave to a master. He, he would go to a post and put his ear on the post and they would peg his ear and, and have that earring that signified which family he belonged to. It wasn't jewelry. It wasn't for, you know, prettiness. It was to show that who he willfully belonged to in the house of so-and-so. And so that was there for all to see, for everybody to know. We think of, of colleges and they have fraternities and they have their, their, um, they're pledging, they have they, they swear a man, right? Again, there's they're proud to be in that in, in that fraternity. They're not ashamed. Um, seen some of them that actually brand their fraternity's Greek symbol into their into their body because they're proud of that. Well, how do Christians identify with Christ? Um, not through tattoos, not through branding. Not through spirit wear, right? We don't all come in wearing a certain color or anything like that. Um, how do we do that? Well, today we want to you know, dive into what baptism is. And uh, just four questions. What are the reasons for baptism? Uh, what is the meaning of baptism? What baptism is not, because that's important. And then what are our, our final conclusions on baptism? Um, real quick, kind of first some background there. There's so many denominational views, so many uh, traditions, and you know we always want to be careful of that. We, we want to be careful that we're not following a tradition versus the Bible. Now with baptism, there are there there is some room for flexibility, and so that that can create some some confusion as well. You know, do you have to be fully immersed? Does it have to be in a river? Does it have to be in a lake? Can it be in a bathtub? Can it be in a pool? Can it be sprinkled? So, I mean, that it leaves some questions. And certainly there's a lot of denominations that have very, very strict views on what it has to, must be. Um, and so we, we want to make sure that, again, we're, we're following a biblical pattern. Uh, is it specifically stated to do it like this? or not. Baptism really wasn't new to the New Testament. Now, baptism was something that was uh, started in the Old Testament. There's some Old Testament history, or I should say Old Covenant history during the time of the Old Testament. Uh, we see that the Jews had what they called the uh, Tivla, which was a, a purification time. It was the ceremonial washing. And, and where did they get that idea from? Well, they got that from like in Leviticus 16.4, the priests would ceremonial wash and cleanse themselves, but before they would go through the sacramental um, offerings. And so there was that, that beginning of this, this concept of, of, of baptism and the representation and the, the symbolism behind it. But turn with me to 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 10. The New Testament, the New Covenant doesn't um, 
doesn't forget about the, the old in 1 Corinthians 10, 1 through 2. For I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea. Remember the Red Sea? And all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. And all ate the same spiritual food. And all drank the same spiritual drink. For they were drinking from a spiritual rock from which followed them. And the rock was Christ. And so we see here that there was, there was this, this baptism into Moses. Right, which was a sign of, of their unity. They, they together drank the same drink, the same spiritual rock. There was an identification there and a very clear that there was some symbolism there with, with Moses and, and the Israelites when they passed through the Red Sea. Who knew, right? We just thought they were escaping. Um, we also see that uh, in, in, we read in Matthew 3, remember, in Matthew 3, Jesus hasn't died on the cross yet, right? Jesus hasn't sacrificed himself on the cross. So in Matthew 3, you're still looking at old covenant rule. And, and so in, in, in Matthew 3, John the Baptist is already starting this process of baptism before Jesus has died. So we, we have some history there. Uh, we're seeing a shift. In Acts 18, 24 through 26, we see that John had, had baptized people that never knew Jesus. And so as the forerunner, as the, as the proclaimer, and so this is like a foreshadowing of what was to come. Not We look back at what happened. They were looking forward. Uh, turn with me to, to 1 Peter 3. 1 Peter 3 gives us another little, little glimpse. 1 Peter 3.20. I'll begin in verse 19. In which also he went and made proclamation to the spirits now in prison, who once were disobedient. They were once disobedient when the patience of God kept waiting in the days of Noah during the construction of the ark in which a few, that is eight people, were brought safely through the water. And corresponding to that, baptism now saves you. Not the removal of the dirt from the flesh, but an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So again, when, when God was, was judging the world with the flood, he was also saving Noah and his family with the water which is a representation of, of what baptism is. So baptism has a, a, a rich history, even deeper than what we would understand, being in the Red Sea, being with the priesthood, being in, in the days of Noah. And so when we look at the origin, when we look at, well, what, what is baptism? What are the reasons for baptism? Turn with me to Matthew 28. Matthew 28, we really see our, our New Testament reason and beginning. Matthew 28, beginning at verse 16. 
Now, Jesus is getting ready to ascend. He's getting ready to depart the earth, and he, and he leaves the 11 disciples with this message. But the 11 disciples proceeded to Galilee, to the mountain, which Jesus had designated. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some were doubtful. And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So we see here that part of the Great Commission, part of, of what Christ is asking uh, his disciples and, and us to do is to go to all the nations, go proclaim the gospel, go teach about Jesus and baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, of the Holy Spirit, the triune Godhead. And so we see here as the Great Commission, uh, the launching then, and a great reason for baptism is because Jesus said that's what we're supposed to go do. That's part of the process, part of the process of teaching. I mentioned before that John the Baptist, who was considered uh, the greatest man, right, by Jesus. So it makes you wonder, you know, well, why? And we have to be careful because it's not specifically stated why. But we know that he was the forerunner to Christ, so that's a, a pretty good reason. But John the Baptist, and it, it's in his name, was a Baptist, <laughs> right? I mean, he's not a Baptist, I'm kidding. John the Baptist baptized people. He baptized people. I mean, that's his, his claim to fame is he was the guy who baptized people. He was the guy who started, remember that great sermon that you guys can all remember? Repent. Um, that's a loving thing to call people to. And part of the process of baptism was a confession of sins. When you can't confess that you have a problem, when you can't confess that you're in sin when you can't confess that you need help, well, uh, then it's meaningless. Uh, Matthew 3 it also talks about that this is in the fruit in keeping with repentance. So not only do you confess your sins, but then the fruit, your fruit, like you're, you're all trees, right? And so we all want to have these, this fruit that has like power and you know, amazing things. And it's like, you know what? How about we see fruit of repentance in you? What an incredible thing to consider. The, the, the thing that marks you isn't your perfection. It isn't your holiness, even though that's what we seek and desire. But the, you're a repenter tree. You're a repentant fruit tree. That's a beautiful picture that we don't talk about that much. Well, another reason for baptism is that act of obedience to publicly profess your faith publicly. Um, Jesus in public, he could have done this in private. He could have done this on the side with John the Baptist. Look, look John, I know that I should be baptizing you. You shouldn't be baptizing me. Let's just little private ceremony over here and take care of the no is out in front of everybody that that Jesus did this. John the Baptist would would 
call people to repentance and they would stand up and repent in front of everybody. Um, that's part of the humility. It's part of the identifying with, with other believers. I showed up today on, on, on Satan's team. I'm listening to this message, repent. And now I walk away on team Jesus. Um, it's an identification. Acts 8 talks about it's for new believers, right? It's for people who are, who are, are new to the faith. Mark 1.4 talks again about proclaiming the repentance for sin. So the key reason for baptism is, is one that, I mean, God expects us to be baptized. He expects it. It's just like serving, giving, taking communion. It's part of an ordinance. We participate in the identification of church activities by being baptized, not ashamed. Again, it doesn't save you. This is just an outward proclamation of, of an inward confession, right? An outward proclamation of the inward confession. Well, what is the, the symbolic meaning? We've, we've talked about this a little bit. Turn with me to Romans uh, chapter 6. Romans chapter 6 gives us a good little summary. Romans 6. Um, beginning of verse 1. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace might increase? May it never be. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? Therefore, we've been buried with him through baptism into death in order that Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father so that we too might walk in the newness of life. For if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him, that our body of sin might be done away with and that we should no longer be slaves to sin. For he who has died has freed us from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. Knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, is never to die again. Death no longer is master over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. Even so, Consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. What a dramatic visual picture baptism is. Baptism is a visual picture of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It begs the question, what are they doing? What does that mean? Why are they drowning that person? Why did they pick them up? I mean, it, 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 by looking at it, when it, you ask questions, right? That's the intent. It's no different than having a pile of rocks in the middle of the desert. So why is that there? Oh, that's to remind us, right? These are markers. These are memorials. That's why we have ordinances of communion and baptism to remind us. Well, the death then is symbolic. We, we, we die 
to our sin. Verse 11, we're, we're supposed to be dead, but to sin, not just dead. We're, we're to be dead to sin. And, and then the waters for repentance, John 3, 11. The, this water is the purification, the cleansing, right? The representation of that. And so the, the death is a confession of sin. We're dying to sin. And at the same time, we're, we're being cleansed. What a beautiful picture. The burial then is, well, we're, we're buried with Christ. We, 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 and, and this is the, the beautiful part. Not only do we die with him, but we're raised with him. If Jesus Christ doesn't conquer the grave, if the human flesh of Jesus Christ doesn't conquer the grave, if he isn't born again, if he doesn't resurrect, guess what? Neither do you. If Jesus can be born in the flesh, die, raise again, resurrect, and be into heaven, guess what? So can you. And so in believing in this, you're really codifying your faith. Because um, it is a miraculous thing to consider. It's an incredible thing to consider. And without the, the Lord and the Holy Spirit removing the scales from your eyes, you can't believe that, right? That, that's, that seems so odd. But this is exactly what the scriptures tell us, that we are, are then buried with Christ. But then we're resurrected. Verse 4, the newness of life. We walk in the newness of life. We don't walk the same that we used to same. We're, we're, we're no longer, verse 6, slaves to sin. We're, we're now, verse 16, slaves to obedience. Verse 18, we're now slaves to righteousness. Why? Because we walk in a newness. We've been resurrected. Verse 11, we are alive to God in Christ Jesus. That's our power, right? Our power is identifying with Jesus Christ in this death, burial, and resurrection, which then is symbolic in baptism. And so Colossians 2.12 talks about where we have a brand new life. It's a brand new life in the great term, born again. We're we're, we're, we're the old self died and you're a, a newborn babe, a reset. Well, we also see that baptism has a, has a, a, a piece of, of the Holy Spirit, right? Uh, the Holy Spirit, let's turn to 1 Corinthians 12, 13. 1 Corinthians 12, 13. So it's not just this symbolic meaning, but we... We see there something else happens. Verse 12, for even as the body is one, it has many members and all the members of the body, though they are many, are one body. So also is Christ. For by one spirit, we were all baptized into one body. Whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and we were all made to drink one spirit. What a... What a great symbol of this unity that we have in Christ, in the Holy Spirit, because of the Holy Spirit, that we're all baptized into one body. 
So, so baptism, again, is that identification of, of being one. We are one. We are of the same family now. Born again is a, an amazing, literal, symbolic state of what happens when we confess our sins to Jesus Christ. It's an amazing, amazing thing. So, as Galatians 2.20 says, I, I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The only way that happens is by the yielding of, of, of yourself, your pride, your former ways, and now joining the Lord. Well, what is some of the confusion? What, what about... What baptism is not. Uh, turn with me to Ephesians 2. Ephesians 2. We're going to start at verse 1. Ephesians 2 1. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them, we too all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. That's our state. We are children of wrath. We, we, we formally live in our lusts. We formally indulge in the desires of our, of our flesh, in our, in our minds. We, we sin. We disobey God. Verse 4, but God. But God, being rich in mercy, He's, he's got so much mercy. What's mercy? Mercy is not giving you what you do desire what you do deserve you deserve to pay the price for your sin you earned it you deserve the whipping you deserve the penalty but god being rich in mercy because of his great love with with which he loved us even even when we were dead in our transgressions when we were dead verse 5 made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved and raised up with Him. Again, that, that concept of resurrection. Raised up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus in order that in the ages to come He might show the surpassing riches of His grace and the kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For... How are we saved? Well, we're not saved by baptism. This is how we're saved. By grace, you've been saved. A free gift undeserved. By grace, you've been saved. Through faith, not of yourselves. It is a gift. It is the gift of God. Not as a result of works that no man should boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And so baptism isn't about salvation. We, we, we have to be crystal clear about that. Titus 3.5, 
clearly states we're not saved by our works. Baptism would be works if that was a requirement for salvation. It's about faith. Uh, Paul even states in 1 Corinthians 1.14 as he's dealing with the church of Corinth and, he, and he's trying to make a point. He says, you know what? Uh, I'm glad I didn't baptize any of you guys. Well, now, if, if baptism were, were the way that you're saved, you would never make that statement because you would want to baptize as many people as you can. That would mean that you, more people were saved. And so if baptism really was a, 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 a specific absolute that you had to do, Paul would not make that statement. Well, what about denominal, uh, denominational traditions? We talked about them. You know, some churches require you to go through a 14-week class. You know, they want to make sure that you really understand what you're doing. What's the problem with that? Well, that's not what we see in the New Testament, <laughs> We see people who've, who've heard the proclamation of Jesus Christ and in five minutes, they repent. They bow the knee before the throne and say, baptize me. No 14-week class. 14-week class makes sense. We get it. But again, that's a denominational tradition. If that's what that church wants to do, uh, so be it. But we, we see it was an on-site no wait. What we mentioned before, what about... Uh, full immersion. Well, in the days of Jesus, that's what we saw. We saw John the Baptist would be at a river or a lake and baptize people. Jesus was fully immersed. Uh, we see Ethiopian is immersed. Um, so if, if that's available, great. What if it's not? What if you're where there's no water? Um, and so we've seen other denomina denominations. You can pour water. Maybe it's a pitcher. Maybe it's a sprinkle. It's a symbol right? It's, it's a symbol. So uh, let's keep that in mind. What about infants? Should infants be baptized? Well, it, it's, it's not for salvation. If, 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 if it were for salvation, then we should be running around as fast as we can baptizing babies, right? I mean, that makes total sense. But is that what we see uh, in the gospel? In Acts 2, it very clearly says, for those who believe. Um, you know, an eight-month-old doesn't believe. Again, we've been talking about in, in, in Matthew 3.6, it was a confession of sins. Uh, Matthew 3.18, keeping in repentance. Uh, you know, Mark 1.4, proclamation of repenting for sins. And so, so baptism includes this, this repentance of sin. So one would have to be of the age to understand that this is sin. This is a violation of God's law and that they are going to repent and they're going to obey. At what age does that happen? Well, it's different, right? It's different. So, you know, different ages, but infants, um, doesn't seem like that's appropriate. Now, again, why, why do we get there? Well, there's an there's a Old Testament tie-in with the infants. Uh, for one, on the Day of Atonement, there was one day a year, right, where you'd go to, to, to the tabernacle, you'd go to the temple, you'd go see the high priest, and the high priest is going to make a sacrifice on you and your family's behalf for your sin. And so you would bring men, women, and children, you would bring the whole family. 
baby would be there, three-year-old would be there, eight-year-old would be there, everybody on the Day of Atonement. So that's how some say, well, isn't that kind of the same as baptism? Circumcision was another symbolic thing, identifying Israelites with God. And so circumcision then is, is kind of gets equated into baptism. Um, but I would argue that in the New Testament, we see this as being something separate, something different and, and taking the next step and the next level. Um, unlike anything that had ever been seen in the old covenant. Remember, this is a covenantal thing. When Jesus dies on the cross, he's ushering in a new covenant. The old covenant was by the law. In the law, you keep all the laws. You keep all the statutes or you die. <laughs> and then in a new covenant, well, your Jesus dies for you. And so that's the, you know, in, in simplicity, the new covenant is different in that it's not a bilateral covenant. That if you break it, you're dead. Because guess what? It didn't work. And we still repented and you couldn't sacrifice enough goats and calves and pigeons. It wasn't enough to make full atonement. So the, the, the infant um, baptism doesn't seem to be a, a, a good prerequisite for, for baptism. It's not about birthrights. Again, it's not about, well, the Israelites all circumcise their kids on the eighth day, right? Because we're Israelites. And, and that's what we do. And they're obeying the old covenant, the Old Testament law. No, it's not about birthrights. Um, there's no like religious 12-step program to being saved. And, and, and one of the steps is baptism. Uh, we, we, we don't see that. Is it for everyone? I mean, should everyone just, you know, well, just, if you're not sure, just get baptized, right? I mean, maybe, maybe it'll stick again. Well, why would you do that? This isn't a, a prerequisite for salvation. So, so we shouldn't like push people, lead people into baptism. Um, it's, it's gotta be the right time. We see John in, in, Ma in Matthew 3, 7, he rebukes the Pharisees. They come to get baptized. And what does he say? Not now. You guys aren't ready. No, he says, turn away, you brood of vipers. Now, he knew that their baptism wasn't genuine. He knew that it wasn't the right time for them. So don't just do it just to do it, right? Um that would not be appropriate. And sometime in our modern era, we, we like to rush people into things. It, it, it's okay. We, we, can, we can see that there, you got to let these things settle. When, when Jesus is talking to the rich young ruler in Mark 10, we don't see Jesus, you know, well, you know what? Let's just get baptized anyway. You know? Well, okay, let's get baptized. Let, let me baptize you. Well, why not? If it's so essential, then, then you would see that being the marker throughout the New Testament that they're, they're constantly like trying to push people into baptism. Uh, no, it's got to be the right time. That's why there's, you know, the Great Commission, go and teach them and baptize them. Uh, they need to understand what they're doing. Uh, it's not the same 
the the baptism of the the immersion in the water is not the same as the baptism by the Holy Spirit. That's a different thing that happens with the Holy Spirit. Okay, so your your genuine conversion is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So so you can be converted, you can follow Jesus, you and not have been water baptized. You could be a Christian for 30 years and have never been baptized. You can die and you'll be standing in heaven without being water baptized. Um, these are two different things. Um, Matthew 3.11, John baptized with water or, and, and Jesus can baptize with the Spirit. Okay, different things, different things. Um, what about baptism of the dead? In 1 Corinthians 15, 29, we see that there's a, a comment about this baptism for the dead, but it's rebuked. In 1 Corinthians 15, we see kind of an in-depth understanding of, of what the glorified body looks like. So, the, the way God has designed it is we live in, in human flesh. And then we, we die, and then we're waiting for our glorified bodies to be reunited with Jesus. And those who do not are then damned. And so it doesn't make any sense then that there's like a, a, another time as kind of a, the, the second chance, or some call it the, the time of purgatory. We don't see that biblically we don't see a praying for the dead that's a pagan tradition it's a tradition and it's a tradition that has crept into to christian churches or so-called christian churches but it's not a biblical tradition let me read first corinthians 15 um beginning at verse 29 first corinthians 15 verse 29 otherwise what will those who do who are baptized for the dead what will those do who are baptized for the dead if the dead are not raised at all? Why then are they baptized for them? Why are we also in danger every hour? If, there, if there's like no real imminent danger, then why are we saying there's danger, right? Oh, it doesn't matter if you die. It might even be better. You do so many bad things, probably better you die and then we could all just pray for you. Uh, th th this is in, in contrast to that kind of a thinking. This is, there, there's sarcasm here. Why then are we also in danger every hour? I protest, brethren, by the boasting of you, which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord, I die daily. If from human motives I fought with wild beasts at Ephesus, what does it profit me if the dead are not raised? Let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. Do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. Become sober-minded as you ought and stop sinning, for some have no knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. But someone will say, how are the dead raised and with what kind of body do they come? You fool, that which you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And that which you sow and you do not sow the body, which is to be but a bare grain, perhaps of wheat or of something else. But God gives it a body just as he wished, and to each of the seeds a body of its own, 
all flesh is not the same flesh, but there is one flesh of men and another flesh of beasts and another flesh of birds and another of fish. There are also heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly is one and the glory of the earthly is another. There is one glory of the sun and another glory of the moon and another glory of the stars and stars are different from star and glory. So also is the resurrection of the dead. It is sown a perishable body, but it is raised an imperishable one. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. And so you see here, there's just two distinctions, life or death. There's either life or the spiritual body. There's not like a middle ground here. You, you, you die and then you have the opportunity of, of being resurrection with your, resurrected with your, your glorified body. Again, what's the importance of praying for the dead, for, for baptizing the dead when, when baptism is not a requirement for salvation? It's not a requirement for salvation. So, so why would that be done? Stick to the scriptures. Stick to the scriptures and, and you'll find less confusion. Well, finally, what are, what are some of our conclusions then? What, what should we draw? Um, is, or is baptism necessary? Is it necessary? Well, not for salvation, no. But all genuine believers should. Um, let's turn to Acts, Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. Beginning at verse 36. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ. This Jesus whom you crucified. Now, when they heard this, they were pierced in their hearts and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brethren, what shall we do? So remember what's being said here. This is a classic, you know, um, Jesus is not just a man. He's also Lord and Savior. He's also king in heaven and savior on earth. And so all of Israel knows for certain now. And now they heard this and it's piercing their heart. It's just, this is unbelievable. This is amazing. This is what Israel's been waiting for, the Messiah. What shall we do? Verse 38, Peter said to them, repent. There we go. The long sermon. Repent and let each of you be baptized. In the name of Jesus Christ, why? For the forgiveness of your sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and your children, and for all who are far off, and as many as the Lord our God shall call to himself. And with many words he solemnly testified and kept on exhorting them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. Yeah, was this written last week? Be saved from this perverse generation. So then those who had received his word were baptized. And they were added in that day about 3,000 souls. And they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread, and to prayer. All genuine believers should be baptized. It was part of this, this beautiful tradition 
It's part of the identification with, with Christians, with Jesus Christ. And it's something that we should definitely, if not baptized, uh, prayerfully consider. Turn with me to Acts chapter 8. I love this story. Acts chapter 8. Is it necessary? Well, why not? What's holding you back is maybe a better question. And what do we see with this Ethiopian? Acts chapter 8, beginning at verse 26. But an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Arise and go south to the road that descends from Jerusalem to Gaza. And he arose and went, and behold, there was an Ethiopian eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. And he had come to Jerusalem to worship. And he was returning and sitting in his chariot and was reading the prophet Isaiah. So here's this Ethiopian eunuch who's in, in, in court with this queen, and he comes to Jerusalem to worship, and he's, he's reading Isaiah. He's reading the scriptures, what he has available. And the spirit says to Philip, go up and join this chariot. And when Philip had run up, he heard him reading Isaiah, the prophet, and said, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, well, how could I unless someone guides me? Now, remember, Isaiah is a prophetical book. Isaiah is a difficult book. When I was in seminary, I had a, one class just on Isaiah. I think I came out of it more confused than when I went into it. Isaiah is a complicated book, very complicated. And so this guy's reading it and and. Do you even understand what you're reading? He's like, well, how could I? Unless somebody gives me some guidance. And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now, the passage of scripture which he was reading was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before its shears is silent. So he does not open his mouth. In humiliation, his judgment was taken away. Who shall relate his generation? For his life is removed from the earth. And the eunuch answers, said to him, Please tell me of whom does the prophet say this? Of himself or of someone else? And Philip opened his mouth and beginning with the scripture, he preached Jesus to him. And as they went along the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, Look, water! So remember, he's in the chariot. He's reading Isaiah. Philip's preaching Jesus to him, explaining the scriptures. He's explaining what Jesus did, how this relates to the Old Testament, how it relates to Messiah, how it relates to Isaiah. And, and as he's going along in the chariot, he sees this water. He's like, look, water. What prevents me from being baptized? From, from his desire of his own heart. Philip didn't tell him. He didn't read a verse. He just, from the desire, from the desire of his own heart, he wants to be baptized. We should want to be baptized. We should have a desire to be baptized. And Philip said, I if you believe with all your heart, then you may. And the answer said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. 
Now that's a powerful statement right there. I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He is a part of the triune Godhead. And he entered and he ordered the chariot to stop. And they both went down into the water, Philip as well as the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more, but went on his way rejoicing. Baptism is a great opportunity to identify with Christ, to confess your sins, to proclaim Christ, and to receive the joy from that. It's a great time of identification. Just like all those who, who join fraternities or join clubs or wh whatever initiation, getting the, the, the letterman jacket, whatever it is that we've, we've copied in life, nothing compares to the joy of, of feeling united to Christ and united to his, pe his people. Um, remember in Ephesians, it's in Christ, with Christ, in Christ, with Christ. That's our identification. And it's only based on belief. If you believe in your heart, he didn't have to write a 20 page paper. He didn't have to answer, you know, a hundred questions and get 80% right. He just had to have a, a, a simple faith. So If you've confessed, if you've confessed with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus Christ died, was buried and rose again to pay for your sins, um, then why not identify with Team Jesus? Why not be baptized? And so we want you guys to pray about that. If you haven't been baptized, uh, pray about that. If you still have questions, come talk to me. Uh, this summer, we want to provide, uh, if not one, but maybe two opportunities to be baptized. One of those is uh, we're hoping to do at the river, in our river. Uh, for some of you, maybe that may feel a little chilly. Um, and so we're, we're also work on a, uh, an alternative uh, option. But we want you baptized because Jesus wanted you baptized. We want you baptized because the Bible talks about being baptized. But we're not here to push you into that because it doesn't save you. And so it's just a way for you to proclaim and to profess Christ in front of others and to receive that blessing and the joy of doing that. Let's pray.